everybody. Welcome to Utterly Astounded, where eschatology meets current events meets real life. At least my regular real life at home here in Southern California. So right now in history, I'm needing to lean more and more on the sovereignty of God when it comes to rulers and nations, and you may be feeling that way as well. The amount of junk coming out of the White House, God help us all. These days, I'm sensing a huge shift. While the news media fawns and drools over Joe Biden and his administration, I'm feeling a demonic grip on the government. Though Trump is no longer in office, which I am still grieving about, because he stood for the righteous principles in the Bible. I'm not saying he's a Christian. I don't think he is. I hope he becomes one. He has certainly been prayed for a lot to that end, but he did have Mike Pompeo and Mike Pence, who I do believe were real believers, and they were in close contact with him, and they stood for biblical principles, especially pro-life and in their dealings with Israel. But what I see happening in the White House right now, I need to be infused with a little hope. So for the sake of encouragement, I want to talk about some of the pagan kings or nations God has used in the past to bring about his will. Just to pause and remember what he has done while he has protected his people in the past and of course will protect us in the future. This podcast is actually named after that very thing, Habakkuk 1, 5 through 6. Look among the nations and watch. Be utterly astounded, for I will work a work in your days which you would not believe, though it were told to you. For indeed, I am raising up the Chaldeans, a bitter and hasty nation, which marches through the breadth of the earth to possess dwelling places that are not theirs. God brought the Chaldeans against the Israelites for judgment which of course they deserved, the way this nation deserves judgment as well. But then he judged the Chaldeans for what they did to the Israelites. So God used Assyrians and Babylonians as well when he brought about the Babylonian exile. The Israelites were promised they were going to be exiled because of their unfaithfulness to God's covenant and that they would spend 70 years in captivity, which was prophesied in Jeremiah 25, 11. So they did that. And I just want to talk a little bit about the book of Ezra. And it opens with this really interesting statement. We have a proclamation by a pagan king to bring them back in the land. It's Ezra 1, 1. Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he sent a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put in it writing, saying, and he says, go rebuild the house that is in Jerusalem. And Isaiah spoke prophecy regarding Cyrus 175 years before Cyrus was born. Thus says the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus, he called him by name, whose right hand I have held. That's Isaiah 45, 1. And it goes on to say, for the sake of Jacob, my servant, and Israel, my chosen one, I have also called you by your name. I have given you a title of honor, though you have not known me. I am the Lord and there is no other. Besides me, there is no God. I will gird you, though you have not known me. And that's 45, 4 and 5. So Cyrus created the Medo-Persian Empire. We know he was a polytheistic worshiper. So he, he worshiped many false gods. But not only does he send the exiles back, 
But because the Lord had stirred up his heart, he gave the returning Jews the vessels of the house of the Lord that Nebuchadnezzar had carried away to the house of his gods. So there were a lot of valuable items. That's just extra favor. God showing extra favor. So some years pass, Darius takes over. That's another pagan king. And his men confirm a scroll was found written by Cyrus that the house of Jerusalem shall be rebuilt. He, like Cyrus, provides whatever is needed and adds the special decree in 611 that if anyone alters his edict, a beam shall be pulled out of his house and he shall be impaled on it and his house shall be made a dunghill. That's pretty serious. Herodias, the Greek historian, reports that Darius impaled 3,000 Babylonians after he put down a rebellion in their city. So he was not fooling around. In verse 10, he says that they may offer pleasing sacrifices to the God of heaven and pray for the life of the king and his sons. He wanted all the gods on his side, and that was common. Cyrus asked for that too. It's not an uncommon thing even today. You have all sorts of people asking for prayer, and they don't really care who you pray to, just as long as they find some kind of favor with the gods. So he wasn't a worshiper of Yahweh. Again, this is a pagan king. Artaxerxes then comes along, listed in chapter 7 of Ezra. He gives Ezra permission to lead another group of exiles back home and essentially says, go freely with your people. Take all your riches and the king's treasury will provide all that you need. And you won't even be taxed. Ah, imagine that. Verse 26 says, Whoever won't obey the law of your God and the law of the king, let judgment be strictly executed on him, whether for death or for banishment or for confiscation of his goods or imprisonment. So Ezra gives God credit and praise for this. And he says, Blessed be the God, the Lord of our fathers, who put such a thing as this into the heart of the king to beautify the house of the Lord that is in Jerusalem. Don't you love that phrase? Who put such a thing as this into the heart of the king. God does that. I love this truth, proof that history has already been written, more or less. Zechariah was the prophet who was prophesying to keep the people rebuilding the temple. So this is during the time of Ezra, the book that I was just referring to. In Zechariah 9, 8, it says, Then I will encamp at my house as a guard, so that none shall march to and fro. No oppressor shall again march over them, for now I see with my own eyes. Amazingly, that was a prophecy about Alexander the Great, given 200 years before he marched through Palestine. This is a pledge of God's protection of Jerusalem from Alexander the Great. And it came true when on his way south, Alexander treated Jerusalem with kindness. After having subjected Egypt, he returned through Palestine again, but he did that without doing Israel any harm. So that prophecy came true. So many prophecies have come true and a lot more prophecies that we have yet to see. So all of these people in history, these pagan rulers, they say, let the Israelites go about their business. Give them above and beyond what they could ask or think and don't get in their way. So the truth is rulers do not need to acknowledge God's work or even the existence of God to be used by him. You can be an atheist and God will still use you according to his sovereign will. 
God called Cyrus his servant, it says in scripture, though he did not know him. And remember Proverbs 21.1, the king's heart is like channels of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wishes. That's a very famous proverb that we cling to when we are facing governments and kings and rulers who are not as amiable as we would like as far as Christian principles go. The king was the absolute monarch. Of course, we know that nothing could restrain him. But this proverb is so encouraging. The king's heart, the will of the most powerful ruler on earth is directed as easily as the farmer directs the flow of water in his irrigation canals. It's a simple task for the God of heaven. You think about Herod, the pagan ruler who was in place in Matthew 2. He fulfilled the Hosea prophecy in 11.1 that says, out of Egypt, I called my son. And so it goes, God continually using pagan rulers to bring about his will. We're naturally prone to think that those in authority on a governmental or national level, being unbelievers could cause anxiety. Of course it does. But there are many examples of rulers that actually are favorable, many examples that are hostile toward Christians. And I do think that the current Biden administration is hostile toward believers. So, But the truth is, if you do a historical search, evil rulers outrank good rulers by far. If we have a good ruler, that is an enormous blessing from God. It's much easier to find tyrannical megalomaniacs than it is to find good leaders who were sacrificial and protective of their people. Even in kings, there were 43 kings in Israel, I think about 43, and only nine of them were good ones. That's a terrible average. But when we see how thoroughly in control our God is and how he is just as quick to give his people favor with pagan rulers in these examples, that encourages me. It really does. And something else that's very encouraging in the book of Ezra is we find him with this refrain about the good hand of God. And it's such a beautiful picture. And I think we need to remember it in these days. And I think we need to pray this for our nation and our leaders and our churches. Ezra 7, 6, And the king granted him all that he asked for. For the hand of the Lord, his God, was upon him. And on the first day of the fifth month, he came to Jerusalem. For the good hand of God was on him. In 728, I took courage for the hand of the Lord, my God, was on me. 818, by the good hand of our God on us, they brought us a man of discretion. So God had protected them the whole journey from Babylon back to Jerusalem. And I love this in 831, and the hand of our God was over us. And he delivered us from the hand of the enemy and the ambushes by the way. Oh, dear God, may that be true for all believers. So I like to cling to things like that that Ezra has put forth to be reminded that the good hand of God is on believers, especially now in this very precarious time. This just happened. James Coates, the pastor of the Grace Life Church west of Edmonton in Canada, just turned himself into the police because he was scheduled to have a bail hearing for holding a church service on February 14th. And he was holding this service, allegedly breaching and undertaking that was issued one week earlier not to violate Alberta's public health orders, all of this in relation to COVID-19. He is in isolation in a cell block, and he can walk out of there, apparently, if he just sets aside his God-given pastoral duties, but he said no, that he wouldn't do that. 
and it's possible they will keep him jailed until he has a court case, saying he's a danger to the health and safety of Albertans. They apparently are also looking at video of the service and going to houses to issue tickets that cost $880, apparently, something around that number, to parishioners who were caught in the worship service. So our neighbor to the north, Canada, this is happening, and it's coming here, and it is here to some degree. My church is in a court battle, I think more than one, actually, right now. But this is Canada. It's an example of what's coming here, and this is how crazy it is. In L.A. County, you can drive without a license and resist arrest, and the new DA says he won't prosecute those crimes. But you want to meet for church? You want to sing a hymn? You are a threat to society. You are a menace. You are guilty and should be thrown in prison for your crimes against humanity. That is how crazy this is. America is the last holdout for Christian persecution. What other country is there? Where else are we going to go? Nowhere. That's it. They're coming for us. I've been saying that for a while now that they're coming for us. And here we are. From not accepting what the culture says is good, but the Bible says is bad, being canceled, losing jobs because you refuse to say there are more than two genders, the scientifically proven fact, you name it. America has hit the iceberg. So it's good to remember, I think so important that history has been written, that these things are supposed to happen according to the book of Acts. I have some favorite scriptures regarding this in Acts 2. Peter gives his sermon at Pentecost, and he says, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death. So in one sentence, he combines God's plan and foreknowledge to men being responsible for moral blame for what they did. It's both. Jesus says in combining God's predestination with moral blame, he says this in Luke 22, 21, but behold, the hand of my betrayer, this is Judas, is with me on the table and truly the son of man goes as it has been determined. But woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. So it's been determined, Jesus is saying, I'm going to walk this path, but Judas will be responsible for this treachery. So Acts 4, another one, Peter and John healed the lame man and they get arrested because the Jews, the national ruling body at the time, the Sanhedrin, didn't like their miracle working and didn't like them preaching about Christ. So it says in Acts 4.18, so they called them and commanded them not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. Does that sound familiar? This pastor in Canada is facing the same deal right now. Don't speak, don't teach in the name of Jesus because you might spread germs. But Peter and John answered and said to them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge, for we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. And that is true of every believer. You cannot but speak. You cannot but speak of the things which we have seen and heard. 
So in Acts 4.23, it says, And being let go, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. So when they heard that, they raised their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, you are God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them, who by the mouth of your servant David have said, Why did the nations rage and the people plot vain things? The kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. That's quoting Psalm 2, which I love because that is a fantastic picture of how God sees all of this. He looks at the earth and he laughs as the nations rage and people plot against him. For truly against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together to do, and this is the key, whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. So God purposed it to be done, but he will also hold accountable those that do it. We are all responsible for our own moral blame. I nearly choked when I saw the legislation that is on the table to use our tax dollars to fund the murder of babies in the womb. The reversal of the Hyde Amendment, right? For instance, we know we're required to pay taxes. Jesus instructs us to do that. So we have to pay our taxes. Am I praying that the Hyde Amendment won't be reversed? Of course, I am praying that. But I still have to pay my taxes and then the Lord will work that out. I could literally barf right now at the thought of that happening, at the thought of our money going to something as heinous as that. It makes me want to sell the farm, go off the grid, live off locusts and honey, and never give the government one penny of our money. But we need to remember that every person who is using those funds, the government and the people in charge of that money, they will have to answer to a holy God for every decision they made. I'm going to be held responsible to pay my tax dollars. I'm going to have to do that. That's what Jesus said to do. But the people who spend them, they are going to be responsible for what they do with that money. Not one law signed, not one stroke of the pen that legislates godless behavior will go unnoticed by the omniscience of God Almighty. I have to just take comfort in that. We are in a postmodern pagan nation ruled by, in many cases, people fiercely opposed to biblical truth. But God, he can use those rulers for blessing and protection. He can and he will. He can also, of course, use them for judgment as well. But like in the past, believers will suffer along with the consequences that come from decisions made by godless men and women. But we can't be discouraged because in Exodus 10, 21 through 23, remember this, then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward heaven, that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, darkness, which may even be felt. So Moses stretched out his hand toward heaven, and there was thick darkness in all the land of Egypt three days. They did not see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days, but all the children of Israel had light in their dwellings. Wow, the darkness was so thick for the rest of them that if you've ever tried to put your hand in front of your face and you can't see it, that's how bad it was. But God, but God who is rich in mercy, 
he gave light to the Israelites. And I do believe that, that he will give us light even in the midst of these very, very dark days. But we, we will have to take the consequences of a nation being judged. God will protect us as his own. We will suffer consequences of bad leadership and a nation that is spiraling downward. We're going to get some of the overflow of that, of course, but we will have a light on, if you will, in our homes. So in the midst of our nation descending into darkness, we'll have light. God will keep the lamps lit in our dwellings. And I was even thinking the other day how the days are getting longer. Sunsets are later as we head towards spring and daylight savings time. And I love that. I love the longer days. But spiritually speaking, it's the opposite. The days are growing shorter and darker. And I'm so thankful for 1 John 1, 5. This is the message which you have heard from him and declare to you. That God is light and in him is no darkness at all. I love that punctuation at the end. There is no darkness at all. So just by way of encouragement, remember, think of every decision from every ruler in every nation is under the mighty hand of God. No different from Cyrus to Darius to Artaxerxes to Attila the Hun. And here we are in America, and I think Canada is this foreshadowing that will happen to our pastors here and our congregations here. Persecution is here, but look among the nation and watch. Be utterly astounded. Read Habakkuk. You'll be amazed at the similarities in our day. That's it for now. Thanks for listening. Mm -hmm.